right, even though it's our 10-year anniversary, we're going to keep going in our series on the book of Acts. And so uh, if you've got a Bible with you or a device, grab them and go to Acts chapter 2 with me, if you will. Acts chapter 2. All right, as you're flipping there, just out of curiosity, uh, how many of us in the room, and, and you can just respond by a show of hands, but how many of us in the room grew up in a church where the Holy Spirit was talked about regularly and the gifts of the Spirit were emphasized and practiced in some way. How many of us does that describe? All right, a lot of hands going up around the room. All right, you can put your hands down. All right, now, second question. How many of you are like me and you grew up in a church where the Holy Spirit was talked about rarely and the gifts of the Spirit were criticized and or avoided like the plague? All right, a lot of us in the room, kind of even, which is surprising. Now, final question, how many of us didn't grow up in church? And so when we hear all this like Holy Spirit, gifts of the Spirit, like that's weird, uh, it's kind of foreign to you. How many of us? All right, awesome, thanks for your honesty. Listen, here's what you need to know, last group of people that raised your hand. You might be better off than the rest of us. (laughs) And here's why I say that. Because I'm not sure that there is an area of the Christian faith that Christians disagree more on than the Holy Spirit. I mean, entire denominations have been started all due to differences in belief concerning who he is and what he does in the lives of people. And if you wonder, like, why is that? Why can't all these so-called Christians just get their act together and agree? I'll tell you why I believe it is, and it's really simple. This is just James's opinion, all right? I think it's because way too many people have chosen to believe what others have told them about the Holy Spirit instead of simply picking up this book, reading it for themselves, and choosing to believe what's here. Now listen, that's what I'm asking us to do today. Today, we're digging into one of the most discussed and debated passages of Scripture concerning the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. And all I'm asking is this. I'm just asking that regardless of background, regardless of what you walked in the door believing today, I'm asking, would you be humble enough to lay aside all of your assumptions and to really question whether or not what you believe is biblical? And if it's not, the second question I have is this. Would you be willing, would you be willing to open your heart and open your mind up to what the Spirit wants to do in you so that his work can become a reality in your life? Those are the questions, and with those questions on the table, we're going to dive in, all right? Acts 2, starting in verse 1. Let's read together. The Bible says, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, kind of like this today, just not as many of them. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, let's stop there and talk, all right? If you were here in week one of this series, uh, you might remember me telling you that after Jesus died and rose from the dead... He made an appearance to his disciples and he gave them the mission that still belongs to us today, the church. The mission to go into all the world and to seek out lost people, people far from God, and to tell them about Jesus the Savior that they might know, love, and follow him. Well, it's interesting when Jesus said to his guys, I need you to go, he then followed it up with, but don't go yet. Don't go yet. You don't have the power you need to pull off what I'm asking you to do. So just wait here in Jerusalem. I'm going to leave. I'm going to ascend back to heaven. And once I do, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. 
And when the Holy Spirit comes, he's going to give you power. He's going to give you power. Well, the disciples, they go into waiting mode. They're just waiting. They don't have any idea how long they're going to be waiting. Uh, They don't even know what they're really waiting for. But they're waiting, and they're just trusting the Lord to make good on his promise. And as we just read, on the day of Pentecost, he did. Pentecost is significant. Uh, It used to be an annual feast by which the Jewish people commemorated and remembered God giving Moses the Ten Commandments. Today, for us as New Testament Christians, it's significant because we remember it as the day the Holy Spirit showed up and the New Testament church was established. Right? We just read that on that day, the day of Pentecost, and just picture this, all the disciples, they're, they're hanging out in this house together. They're, they're all in one place. And out of nowhere, as they're waiting, this sound starts to fill the room. And, and it kind of sounds like a hurricane, mighty rushing winds. And as this sound is filling this place, all of a sudden fire starts falling, which is really strange, but when you look in the Bible, it's significant, right? Anytime you see fire showing up in the Bible, it's typically indicative of the presence of God, and that was very true here in Acts 2. Even though nothing's on fire, fire starts falling, and this fire starts separating out into what looks like little tongues. And, and those tongues start to come to rest on the disciples. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit fills them with power. And they start speaking in other tongues or in other languages. Now, can we just hit the pause button for a moment here and agree on something? That's weird. <laughs> right? It's weird. Like, if you say that it's not weird, you're weird. Because if that happened in here in the next five minutes, no one would leave today and, and tell our friends and family after church, well, it was just a normal day at church. Nothing really big happened. No, it wouldn't be normal at all, right? It'd be abnormal. I, I would even call it paranormal. But that's what happens when the Holy Spirit moves. Look, if you're taking notes, I want you to write something down. When the Holy Spirit moves, unexplainable things happen supernatural things, otherworldly things, uh, things that you can't really get your mind around, you can't really describe. You know, I'll put it in perspective. As I was studying this last week, uh, I had this thought as I'm writing. I went, man, I wonder if the disciples were ever asked about the day of Pentecost after the day of Pentecost. Like maybe they ran into some friends from the community and uh, those friends, they heard about what happened, but they weren't there. And so they asked the disciples, like, tell us about it, what went down I just wonder if the first words out of the disciples' mouths were, and it's kind of hard to explain. It was like this wind, or at least it sounded like a wind, and, and then there was this fire, and I know it sounds really weird, but the fire kind of looked like tongues, and when they touched us with this power that we didn't have before, and, and all of us started speaking in all these languages, like, I, I don't even know. Like, I wish I could describe it to you, but it's just really hard to explain. That's what I love about the Holy Spirit. Listen to me, and if you take a note, you can write this down. Even though the Holy Spirit's work is hard to explain, it's never hard to miss. Even though his work might be hard to explain, it's never hard to miss. Hear me, you cannot mimic the Holy Spirit. You can't fake him, you can't put him on, and if you try, everybody in the room knows it. Right? You can't miss his work because when he truly moves, unexplainable things happen in the lives of people he moves upon. Now, with that in mind, let's keep reading. I want to I uh, show you what happens next. Verse 5. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. 
And at this sound, so the sound of, of these guys and these girls speaking in all these languages, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. They were amazed and astonished, saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that, that each of us, we, each of us here in our own native language, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, uh, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. So here's the picture. You got all these devout Jews in the city of Jerusalem, and, uh, and you know, some of them are living there. Some of them traveled in from wherever they live to celebrate Pentecost, but they're all there together. And because they're from all these multiple nations across the world, naturally, they speak different languages. And then suddenly, they hear the disciples of Jesus telling of the mighty works of God in their native tongues. So don't miss it. You got Italian guys hearing about the mighty works of God in Italian. You got Chinese guys hearing about the mighty works of God in Chinese. You got Cretans, they're listening in in Greek. Egyptians, Arabs, they're hearing it about it in, in Arabic. And I love what the Bible says. It says that, that when they heard this happening, that the multitude, they came together. They came together. If you're taking notes, here's something else to write down. When the Holy Spirit moves, truly moves, people aren't drawn away, they're drawn in. Listen, I'll tell you one of my frustrations this morning, all right, personal moment of honesty for me. Uh, I get so frustrated with so-called Christians and churches who do really weird things that draw people away from Jesus all in the name of the Holy Spirit. And I'll give you an example. A few years ago, a buddy of mine shared a video uh, with me. It was from YouTube. And it was a video of a so-called pastor apparently getting what he called drunk on the spirit. So here was a grown man. He's standing in front of a crowd like this. And, and he's getting ready to preach. But the brother is talking like he just threw down on a 12-pack before he walked out on the platform. He can't put sentences together. His speech is slurred. At one point, he was rolling around on the ground laughing uncontrollably. And his claim was this, was the Holy Spirit. It was the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit made me do it. And I just wish I could meet that guy to let him know that, yes, in fact, a spirit did make him do that, but it wasn't a spirit with the first name Holy, right? It was a demonic spirit. And I'm convinced of that because in that moment, all the attention was drawn away from Jesus. Listen, I'll say what I said in week one today because uh, I want to keep reminding you of this. Anytime the Holy Spirit moves, people should be drawn to Jesus. If he's moving, attention's not going to be off Jesus and on someone else, it's going to be on him. His desire is to shine the spotlight back on Jesus so the people who don't know Jesus see him clearly. And look up here for a moment. One of the ways he makes that happen is by giving people like us greater self-control. Hear me. Paul teaches this in Galatians 5 when he talks about the fruit of the Spirit. He says that part of the fruit of the Spirit is self-control, which means that if the Holy Spirit truly fills you and truly moves in your life, you're not going to lose control of yourself. You're not going to roll around on the floor and act drunk and make yourself look like a fool. No, the Holy Spirit really fills you and moves in your life. He's going to give you greater control over yourself. 
And the gift of tongues that we see here in Acts 2, it's great evidence of this. Listen, I know some of us, like, we're probably wondering, what's about to happen in church today because of what we just read? You know, like, we're kind of on edge. And, uh, and you're nervous because up until today, if you know anything about this gift, you've always seen it as a gift that plays out in a person's life when they lose control of themselves. But that's not the case. Uh, the gift of tongues is not the Holy Spirit causing someone to lose control of their mind and their speech. It's when the Holy Spirit moves on a person and gives them greater control over their mind and their speech, which results in them speaking in a language they don't already know. That's what we see in the passage. All these people from all over the world showing up and they're going, how are those guys doing that? Those are Galileans. Those are uneducated, blue-collar men. They shouldn't know how to be speaking my language. And here they are, amazed and astonished that these guys are exercising control over speech in a way that they had never witnessed before. Now, I know this probably raises questions for some of us, right? It's weird. It's strange. And oftentimes this gift, the gift of tongues, it scares people, it confuses people, uh, or it's misused and abused by people. And so I thought today, to be helpful, I would just answer two questions, just two questions on the gift of tongues so that we can all leave a little more informed, all right? So the first question is this, uh, what exactly is the gift? What is the gift of tongues? Well, the first thing you need to know is that this gift is not a gift of hearing, it's a gift of speech. All right, I've heard people suggest before that in Acts 2, the passage we read, that the disciples all got up and they spoke one heavenly language, this unknown language, and the miracle was the Holy Spirit enabling the crowd to hear that one language in their own languages. You know, it'd be like me getting up and speaking English to a crowd of people uh, from France, Portugal, Spain, and even though I'm speaking in English, they're hearing in, in uh, Spanish, Portuguese, and French. Look, that's not the gift. It's not a gift of hearing, it's a gift of speech. It's when the Holy Spirit, again, takes control of a person's tongue and he then orchestrates the sounds and the syllables coming from their mouths, which allows them to speak in a language unknown to them, but known to others. I'll give you a great example. This past week, I was hanging out with a new friend from our church and uh, we were eating lunch and I was kind of talking about where I was going this week and he said, dude, listen to this story. And, and he shared with me about a missionary in India, an American lady, and she meets this Indian woman, and she's praying over her. And as she's praying over this Indian woman, who, by the way, speaks the language Hindi, this, this American missionary is praying over this Indian woman, and the Holy Spirit moves, and all of a sudden, she starts praying in this other language. Well, after she says, amen, this Indian woman looks at her, and she says, I didn't know you spoke Hindi. And the American missionary goes, uh, I don't think I do. <laughs> and the Indian woman says, no, you do. You were just praying for me in my language, and I understood every bit of what you asked God to do in my life. Look, that's the gift. That's the gift. It's when the Holy Spirit, in a supernatural way, allows someone to speak in a language they don't know to make Christ known to people who desperately need him. That's the gift. Now, second question is this. Big question. Is the gift of tongues still for today? Is it still for today? Here's the answer. It depends on who you ask. Right? And here's why I say it. Because when you study the supernatural gifts of the Spirit, uh, gifts like prophecy, interpretation, miracles, healing, the gift of tongues, what you'll find is four different theological views on these gifts. And depending which view a person holds to, you might get a different answer. 
And so what I want you, uh, to do is in the next few moments, just walk you through these theological views so that you can understand which ones line up with the scriptures and which one don't so that you can leave with a biblical understanding to this question. Are tongues still for today? All right, first view is this. It's what's known as classic Pentecostalism. Classic Pentecostalism. One of my best friends in the world just a couple of days ago shared a story with me about a lady in his church who came to him and asked the following question. Greg, have you been baptized in the Holy Spirit with the evidence of tongues? Listen, that question comes from this view. It's a view that says, yes, the gift of tongues is still for today. And look, it's also the evidence that the Holy Spirit truly lives inside a person. Now, I want to tell you, the problem with this view is simple. Even though we see examples of people in the Bible, Acts 2, Acts 10, Acts 19, receiving the Holy Spirit and, and consequently speaking in tongues, there's not a single chapter or verse anywhere in the Bible that says or teaches that the evidence of a person having the Holy Spirit is the gift of tongues. If anything, the Bible teaches that the evidence that a person has the Holy Spirit is a transformed life. Right? More on that later in the series. But nowhere does the Bible teach it. If anything, the Bible teaches the exact opposite. In 1 Corinthians 12, Paul, he's teaching on spiritual gifts, and he actually says that not everybody in the church is going to have the same spiritual gift. The gift of tongues, according to Paul, is a spiritual gift. So later in that chapter, verse 30, he even says not everyone is going to have the gift of speaking in tongues. So I would tell you as your pastor, because I love you and care for you, this view does not line up with the scriptures and you shouldn't hold to it, all right? Next view, view number two is this. It's what we call neo-Pentecostalism. Neo-Pentecostalism. This view says that yes, the gift of tongues along with all the other gifts of the spirit, they are still for today, and, and hear me, they are equal with the scriptures. This view is highly dangerous. And the reason's simple, because people who hold to this view uh, they feel a sense of permission to use spiritual giftings in a way that absolutely contradicts what's taught in the Bible. And to be helpful, let me just tell you what the Bible teaches about how tongues should be used, okay? Uh, 1 Corinthians 14, Paul, he writes to the church at Corinth about their improper use of the gift of tongues. Just imagine a church coming together like we're together today and all these different people standing up at the same time and speaking in all these different languages. Like their gatherings were chaotic they were disorderly, and Paul calls them out on it. And he basically says, listen, uh, the way that you're using that gift, it's not helping anybody. Spiritual gifts were given by the Holy Spirit to benefit other people, and how is anyone benefiting from this gift if they can't even understand what you're saying? And not to mention, if an unbeliever walks into one of your gatherings, they're going to think you're absolutely out of your mind. This is why Paul says to this Corinthian church, look, I would rather you when you gather to speak five intelligible words in an understandable language than 10,000 words in a tongue so that people are actually helped and encouraged. And then finally, he gives some instruction. He says, look, look if somebody does speak in a tongue or a different language in a gathering, there are some requirements that need to be met. There should only be two or three people at the most who do it. It should be done in order and there needs to be an interpreter there to make sense of what's being said so that everyone benefits from the gift. And Paul closes out by saying, if those requirements aren't met, the person who has that gift, they should just keep whatever it is they want to say between them and the Lord. And I'll give you a real life uh, example of this view playing out in our church, all right? 
couple years ago, I had a guy walk in on a Sunday morning, and it was before our very first worship gathering. And he came to me, and he asked me this question. James, uh, I have the gift of tongues. Great, that's fantastic. Had to get the tongues. My question is, can I shout out loud and speak in tongues as the music's being played? And so I just said kindly to the gentleman, well, brother, that's fantastic that you have that gift. Uh, no, you can't do that. <laughs> and then I explained to him what I just explained to you from 1 Corinthians 14. And I said to him, the way that you want to use that gift, it doesn't line up with the scriptures, I'll never forget this moment. Gathering hadn't even started. This guy shook my hand, thanked me, walked out the door, and I've never seen him since. But I'm all right with that. Because at Cross Point, look at me, we believe that this book is the final authority on all matters of life and faith, including how we use spiritual gifts. And as a church, as a church, look, as a church, we're not gonna do anything that contradicts what's here. The Holy Spirit, here's something to remember. The Holy Spirit inspired this book. He's never gonna ask you to do anything to contradict what he's already said, all right? Let's keep going. Third view. Third view is what's known as cessationism. Cessationism. This view says that, that the gifts of the Spirit, including the gifts of, of tongues that we're talking about today, were only given to the apostles in the early church. And once the apostles died, these supernatural gifts died right along with them. So the cessationists would say, no, these gifts are not for today, and they should not be used. Now, if you wonder what the cessationist bases this argument on, I'll show you. All right, I'll show you. It's a passage from 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and this is Paul teaching. Here's what he writes. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they'll cease. And as for knowledge, it'll pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. So Paul just teaches, listen, there's coming a time, sometime in the future, when all these gifts we're talking about and referencing, they're going to fade away. They're going to be gone. And Paul says the time that's going to happen is when the perfect comes. Now, what in the world does that mean? Like, what's the perfect? Well, the cessationists would argue that the perfect is this book, the completed word of God, that now that we have the completed word of God, we don't need all these supernatural gifts anymore. Now, before I tell you why I struggle with that argument, let me just go ahead and, and acknowledge today, I realize some of us in the room may be cessationists. I used to be one too. I've recovered, all right? Um, no, listen, I grew up in a church that held to this view. And so for a long time, I held to this view until I picked up this book and I started reading it and I read past verse 10 that we just read and I started really wrestling with what verse 12 meant. Look at verse 12. It'll be on the screens. Paul goes on and he says, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. That's key. Now I know in part, then I shall fully know even as I have been fully known. If you talk to most Bible scholars, they will agree that when, when Paul talks here about uh, this whole face-to-face -face thing, uh, what's getting ready to come in the future, that he's talking about when we see Jesus face-to-face. -face. And so when I prayed and wrestled and studied that reality, I started to, to come to the conclusion that the perfect Paul talks about in verse 10 is not this book. The perfect Paul talks about is Jesus. That there's coming a day when Jesus is gonna stand face to face with us as his church. And on that day, all these spiritual gifts won't be needed anymore. No need to speak in other languages. We'll all understand each other. Isn't that fantastic? Uh, no need to prophesy about anything 
everything will have been fulfilled. No need for new knowledge to come our way. We'll know everything clearly because everything will be as it was meant to be. It's a beautiful, beautiful promise. Now, I'll just say before we move on to uh, any cessationists in the room, listen, I, I don't think that this is an area of belief that should divide us. The first two views, I would say if you believe them, throw them in the garbage, get rid of them, unbiblical. This is one where I'd go, you know, I think there's room for us to disagree. Uh, don't think it should divide us. But as your pastor, here's what I would just ask you to do. Would you get alone with your Bible and get alone with the Lord and just pray and ask if what you truly believe lines up with what's here? And just let the Lord speak to you and work in your life and show you the answer, all right? Final view. This is the view I hold to. Uh, this is the view we hold to here at Cross Point. It's called continuationism. Continuationism. This view says that, yes, the Holy Spirit continues today to give supernatural gifts to people, including the gift of tongues, to, uh, to serve the church and make Christ known in the world. Here's the catch. Here's the catch. If the Holy Spirit gives a person, they must use their gifting in accordance with the Scriptures. That's the catch here. And if they don't use it in accordance with the Scriptures, they should be called out and it should be addressed. Now, I told you a moment ago, it was after a lot of prayer and a lot of study that I left behind the cessationist view, and I took hold of uh, continuationism. And I'll tell you another thing that helped me do it. Another thing that helped me do it was actually seeing the supernatural gifts of the Spirit be used correctly in a biblical manner. And look up here for a moment, because I don't want to confuse you. Don't check out. Disclaimer. I'm a truth guy. So in no way, when I say that, am I trying to hold up my experience with the truth of God's word. All I'm saying is that it became impossible for me to deny the reality of these gifts when I kept seeing the Holy Spirit give them out to people and they used them in ways that perfectly lined up with the scriptures. Right? For example, about nine years ago, I was on staff at a large Baptist church uh, in the Atlanta area and I led a group of high school seniors on a mission trip to Peru. And so one night we did this big outreach event on a public square in the center of the city where we were working. I get up, I preach the gospel, and literally hundreds of people responded. And so we ran out of translators. I'm trying to shuffle people around uh, so that everyone who just made a decision can talk to somebody before they go. And I will never forget this moment and all the chaos of what was happening. This, this girl, high school senior from Marietta, Georgia, she walked up to me. And she looked like she had seen a ghost. And she proceeded to say to me in this moment, uh, James, I just led a guy to Christ speaking fluent Spanish, and I don't know fluent Spanish. And so I looked at this high school senior, and I said to her, that's great, keep talking to people. <laughs> right? <laughs> that's the gift. That's the gift we see in Acts 2. It was a gift that the Holy Spirit gave these men and women, not so that they could put on a show and bring attention to themselves. He gave them the gift so that they could make Christ known to people who desperately needed him in their own languages. That's the gift, and I love this. This is where we'll close. Look back at verse 12. In response to this gift being put on display, the crowd asks a very simple question. I love it. Verse 12. And they were all amazed, and they were all perplexed, and they were left saying to one another, what does this mean? What does this mean? Now listen, I want you to be back next Sunday because we're going to talk about the details of the answer to that question because you see it in the following verses. Uh, big day planned for next Sunday. Be back. 
But today, I just want to speak to that question, if I can, as we close in more of a general sense. Listen, I don't know if I'm alone in this, but it saddens me that in our culture today, few people out in the world ask that question about us as Christians. And look, that has nothing to do, by the way, with supernatural gifting. It has everything to do with spirit-empowered living. Right? More often times than not, I kind of feel like, and again, this is just my opinion. You might disagree, but I kind of feel like the world out there looks at the church, and more often times than not, they're left saying, I could do that. I could live that kind of life. I mean, I could be unloving and hypocritical and judgmental and selfish and greedy and, and cowardly and unkind. Like, I, I could do all the things those people do on a daily basis, and I don't have to believe what they believe. My prayer is this. My prayer is that Cross Point City Church would be different. That we would be a people so filled with and so dependent upon the Holy Spirit that our lives would be completely unexplainable to the outside world. Like I pray that people out there would encounter us in this community and they would be left asking the question, what in the world does this mean? How do people live like that? How do people have that much power, power over sin, over struggles, over their circumstances? How is their marriage like that? How can they they love strangers and, and even their enemies like those people love? What does this mean? That's my prayer, and here's the reality. We can't live those type of lives on our own. Like, I can't pep you up today and motivate you to just walk out of here and live that kind of life. What it takes is the help and the power of the Holy Spirit, moment by moment and day by day. So here's how we're going to close. Here's the invitation. If you're a follower of Jesus in the room, and you'd be honest enough to say, I'm living a pretty powerless life, I would just remind you, the Holy Spirit's in you. You've just got to access the power that's there. And the way you do that is through prayer. And in the next few moments, I want to just invite you to come to the Holy Spirit and to ask Him for the help and the power you need. The promise is He'll give it to you. And then here's what I want you to do tomorrow. You ready? Get out of bed and do it again. And then the next day, get out of bed and and do it again. And on Wednesday, get out of bed and do it again. And on some days, you're going to have to come to the Lord and you're going to have to ask for his help and his power, what seems like every hour, every minute on the hour. You're going to have to come and just ask him and he'll meet you right where you are and he'll give you all that you need. I was talking to to one of my friends uh, who's here today serving before the gathering started. And we were just talking about all that God is capable of. And he said something to me that I think is so true. He said, I think the reason we don't see God do more where we are is because we don't ask him for it. I want us to be a church that asks him for it. And then secondly, as we close, I'll say this. There are some of you that walked in today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus. You don't know him. You don't have uh, a personal relationship with God through him. And I would bet, look, I would bet if you don't know Jesus that you're here and you're caught in something. You're caught up in discouragement, in fear, you don't have any joy. There's no peace in your life. You're struggling with something, whether it's an addiction or a sin or you're struggling with anger or bitterness or unforgiveness. Like something's going on in your life and you wish you could break free. You wish you could overcome it. But look, you never will until you put your faith in Christ and you receive the Holy Spirit. Right now, without Christ, you are living an unchanged, powerless life. 
here's the promise. Jesus loves you. And he gave his life on a cross to prove it. He wants to change you. And he can. He rose from the dead to prove it. And he wants to change you today. He says to us, if we'll put our faith in him, that he'll send his Holy Spirit to live inside of us. And at that point, we'll have power. Power to live the life that Christ intends us to live. So I just want to invite us all over the room just to bow our heads. And just to settle into this moment. If you walked in the room today, in our prayer team, you can go ahead and start getting in your places. But heads bowed and eyes closed. If you walked in the room today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, I want to help you take that step right now. Again, if you're that person who would just acknowledge, man, I need hope, I need peace, I need my life to change. I need to know that, that life actually matters. I need freedom from some of these things that I'm facing. If you're the person who would admit today that you need Jesus, right now in prayer, why don't you just say something like this to him? Say, God, I I need you. I admit and confess that I'm a sinful person. And Jesus, I need you to be my Savior. I believe that you died on the cross for me so that my sins could be forgiven. I believe you rose from the dead so that my life could be changed both now and in eternity. And so Jesus, would you forgive me? Would you take control of my life in this moment? And Jesus, would you send your spirit to live inside of me right now so that I can have the power I need to live the life you've created and saved me to live? Listen, with heads still bowed and eyes still closed, I just want to ask you to do me a simple favor. If you just prayed and put your faith in Christ, wherever you're sitting, would you just throw your hand up? Would you just acknowledge that you made that decision by just lifting a hand? James, I I trusted Christ today. I put my faith in him. Just throw it up. We got hands going up all over the room. Throw it up. Keep it up. Hand right down here in the front. Right here in the front. Just keep them up. Our prayer team's going to put a resource in your hand. And as soon as you receive it, you can put your hand back down. Anybody else, I put my faith in Jesus today. Just throw it up real high. If you're still waiting on somebody, our prayer team's gonna come to you. Still got hands going up. Anybody else? Awesome. Awesome. For those of you that and raise hands. I just want to welcome you to the family of God. God's promise is that right now you are a son, you are a daughter, you are loved by him. Nothing will ever change that. He's committed to working on you from this day until the day you finally see Jesus face to face. You trust that, you know that. Welcome, welcome, love it. Here's what I want us to do, just in the quietness of this moment, let's just quietly stand to our feet As we close our time out together, the band, they're going to lead us in a song. And it's a new song, but it is the perfect song to close out our time together today. And, and I almost kind of feel like a new song is fitting because what we just read in that passage, I just think about it, man. It was so new. It was fresh. It was uh, transformational for the disciples who were present. And so we're going to sing this together and just let the Lord move and work in this place And I would just say to you, if you need the Lord, you just continue to call on him. All right, guys, come and lead us.